You're listening to the CLE Foodcast with Lisa Sands, the place for delicious conversation on local food and the people who grow, cook, and share it. Here's Lisa. Thanks, Bill. Hello, everyone. I hope that 2024 has gotten off to a great start for you. As you may know, if you follow the gram, I took most of January off to regroup and plan and start the year right after being sick for most of December. If you listen to this podcast regularly, and if you know me, you know that I am, in fact, still sick. I actually think I got better and then I got sick again, so my voice isn't exactly what I had hoped. But we must go on. My first episode of 2024, I do think was worth waiting for. I sat down with Melissa Corey, formerly of the butcher shop Saucy San, who you likely know as Mel, half of the duo known as the Lady Butchers, who took Cleveland and really the whole country by storm when they started to catch fire about a decade ago. Melissa recently stepped away from the daily grind of the butcher business that she had built and run in Slavic Village, and we had a fantastic conversation about all of it. This episode is presented in partnership with the Ashtabula County Visitors Bureau. It's winter and we have a lot to gripe about here in Northeast Ohio, but delicious Ohio wines, including ice wine, isn't one of them. March is Ice Wine Month and March 1 through 31 is the Grand River Valley Ice Wine Festival. That's seven wineries, seven ice wine and appetizer pairings. It's a great way to chase away the winter blues and learn about ice wine. If you have an outdated idea about Ohio wines, you need to change it. Do check out my recent Ashtabula Travel Podcast episode. That was episode 88. And head to visitashtabulacounty.com for the details on the month-long celebration of ice wine. I'll be heading there in early March to talk with winemakers, and I'll enjoy sharing all of that with you. Remember, you can start your planning at visitashtabulacounty.com. In this episode, Melissa Corey talks about the last year of Saucy San and all of the things that caused her to step away from the beloved business that she and partner Penny Tagliarina had built. Flying solo for the last few years, Melissa had a lot of realizations. Life was changing, the world had changed, and she had some hard decisions to make. I talked to Melissa about all of it, and I know you're going to love hearing from her. Let's get started right now. Well, they say that you should always aim big. And uh, starting a new year, here we are in 2024. This is the first CLE Foodcast episode of 2024. And I'm super excited to say that my special guest is Melissa Corey, formerly of Saucy San. But she's doing so much more. Melissa, it's so great to connect with you. We are on Zoom. You look fantastic. How's it going? It's great. I'm happy to catch up with you. Um, it's like me breaking the silence since uh, since the closure. So it feels kind of weird. <laughs> well, it feels weird to talk to you as well. You know, um, I was just saying before we started recording, it was like you were part of my life, my social media life, my awareness, and I'm sure will remain this pivotal figure in local food. And then boom, everything just moved really, really fast. So let's start kind of at the beginning. Why the decision? I'm sure it's a big answer, but let's start there. 
Yeah. I mean, I think the thing is, is that like when you talk to anyone and they, they make the decision to close a business, um, if it's not for one reason, which typically ends up being financial, um, it ends up being a, a, a large group of things that are just too much for a small business to handle. And that's where I found us. Um, you know, it wasn't just two or three things. It was four or five really large things that were impacting us in such a way that it was starting to take away from what we did every day um, and was showing signs of not letting up and almost getting worse before it got better, um, coupled with some health challenges that I had this year that I was pretty open about on social media because the biggest thing for us was always about transparency. And, you know, I wanted people to know I had a surgery at the end of July and Going into surgery, they were unsure of how they were going to be able to remove this um, this mass. It was it was benign, it, you know, so no cancer, but it was a two and a half by three and a half inch mass that was sitting between my heart and my windpipe. And for about a year, I was struggling with some health stuff, and every doctor kept telling me I was fine. They said your blood works fine, your blood works fine, you're fine. But I knew I wasn't. I had gained 40 pounds. Uh, I couldn't even get through an eight-hour shift. I was having to go put my head down in the office and take like a 20-minute cat nap because I was just so exhausted. Um, And finally, uh, actually the day after my 40th birthday, I thought I was having a heart attack. And I went into work, naturally. Uh, (laughs) My staff was like, what is wrong with you? I was pale. You know, I couldn't even walk my dog that morning. And if anyone knows me, that's like every day my dog gets walked, you know. Um, and so I ended up going to the emergency room and, you know, thankfully I did because they found this mass and it was sitting on my windpipe. It was, uh, pressing against my windpipe. It was, um, pressing against my carotid artery and it had been growing and pressing on my vocal cord nerves. So I have permanent damage to my vocal cord nerves. Um, those who know me and have been around me since surgery know my voice has gotten deeper and more raspier um, and it gets tired really easily. Uh, so by the end of the week, I almost sound like I had laryngitis, like I had no voice. Wow. And it, it potentially will come back. But as we know, nerves regrow really, really slow. And so the last class that I taught halfway through the class, my voice went out. So how do I teach a class with no voice, which was a huge part of our revenue, especially in months like January and February. And that was kind of the straw for me, um, Mm. you know, having gone and just continuing to push forward and nothing else around me that was already a problem had broke, right? Nothing was like breaking forward. And that was really just kind of the final straw for me. That is really scary. To feel like something is wrong and then, you know, you're not feeling heard. And then to find out that you were right all along. Um, and I would imagine the placement of that mass, right? It pro- Did you have your, your lung capacity was probably affected, your energy, like you were saying, your vocal cords. I mean, that is not a small thing. It is not a small thing, right? So the best way I could describe it, when the doctor called me after they removed it um, and told me how big it actually was, I immediately was like, well, that's a breakfast sausage patty, you know, like a three and a half ounce or, you know, two and a half ounce patty, you know? And I was like, oh my God, this is so bizarre that you're referencing this like mass that they just pulled out of you. But like, that's how I could visualize exactly how big that was. Um, you know, I was having problems swallowing. Um, I was, I would choke on just swallowing water. 
uh, because it was compressing oh. in there. Um, you know, and it just, uh, yeah, it was really frustrating to go from doctor to doctor to be told you're fine. You're fine. Well, your blood works fine. Uh, it's stress. Well, what's your diet? Like, well, I, we know our bodies and sure, like mm-hmm. I'm older now. So a couple pounds come on things like that, but 40 pounds is a lot. And for me not to be able to lose any of it. And it just was like so many things that were frustrating. Yeah, and, and, you, and you're turning 40, which everybody right. loves to do. It feels so great. Actually, I don't mind. I am loving 40. I, I really am. I mean, you know, I think when you hit 30, people are like, oh, it's so great. You're not in your 20s anymore. And I don't care anymore. You know what? Actually, no, when you hit 40, I really don't care. Um, I, you know, I the like I just I'm going to do what makes me happy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I shouldn't say I don't care because obviously I do. But like, you know, you don't sweat the small stuff as much. Mm-hmm. Um, you really start to take that into consideration. I agree um, with that. I think that's something that I do embrace about aging. I I feel a lot more confident in my own decisions I don't, I advocate for myself more and I just don't worry about, uh, and it's hard. I think this is the hardest thing is I don't worry about, I worry less about what other people think. I certainly still think about it, but um, I'm just growing in that confidence. And a lot of it has to do with where you spend your time, what you expose yourself to. As you know, um, part of running a business is especially the the right the the hustle and the whatever you're an entrepreneur and you built this and you're you're a persona you're a personality you have to show up in places people are looking for you you're like oh my god did i i got to post on instagram all this stuff you know like it there's just so much that weighs into that um so to have a, a health issue and some uh, to take some time for yourself that's that's a tough decision when all those other things were kind of piling up, which you were very vocal about on your social media, the struggle of your business in Slavic Village and, and some of the things that you just didn't feel like you were getting. 100%. And that is really not changing. Um, you know, if, for anyone who's listening, who follows me on any social uh, I have been completely silent. I don't, I don't think I've opened social media very much in the last month and it has felt amazing. Um, but you know, I did tell all of our customers that I would absolutely be keeping the saucy son, you know, Facebook and Instagram alive because I'm not sure what that will turn into, but my promise to the community in Slavic village, the council person, Rebecca Maurer was I'm not going anywhere. If anything, I'm now just going to have more time to advocate for this neighborhood because I wasn't giving up on the neighborhood and I needed everyone to understand that. It wasn't the neighborhood. It had literally nothing to do with the neighborhood. We went there very intentionally and I had nothing but love and respect for the people around. We were treated with love and respect. Sure, we were broken into, but like that happens everywhere. But because it was in Slavic Village, it got, you know, stereotyped and it got blown into this big, huge thing. And everyone was like, oh my God. And I'm like, as a woman, I had been there at hours really, really early in the morning and really, really late at night. And I never once feared for my safety. I never once felt like I had to be there with someone or, you know, carry a gun or do any, like, that's just not the reality. And, you know, um, the Southeast Cleveland, the whole entire side of Southeast Cleveland, like has to be seen. Like, we're not talking about just like access to, you know, having stores and stuff brought in. I'm talking about 
stores that are selling expired food and multiple phone calls to the health department have to be made in order for them to show up. Mm-hmm. And if that was a store, little store in Ohio city or Detroit or where they, they'd be there the next day. Mm-hmm. And like, we are cutting off people's access to food. And I am not about that. I am mm-hmm. not about that. People who are super close to me know that I grew up in a situation where, you know, for a little while, it was just me and my mom. We went to food banks for, for food. We, we stood in line. We, we went to free community meals because my mom could do everything. She you know, was doing everything she could, but she just did, couldn't make it all the way. And so I know what that's like. And, and that's not to say it for sympathy, but that's just to say that like, it's 2023. How the hell are we still allowing this to happen when you can throw a rock and hit that neighborhood Mm -hmm. from Lakewood, from, you know, wherever you are. Mm -hmm. And so my advocacy for that neighborhood, um, not going away just on a short little hiatus while I get a kind of acclimated to this new life of not having a million meetings to go to. My calendar has never been so empty. It is the strangest thing ever. Um, people will be like, hey, you want to go grab lunch? Tell me when. I'm like, no, no, you tell me when because I work a very set schedule now and I'm thoroughly enjoying it. You do look very, um, very buoyant. You look pretty light. Yes. Um, you look rested, which is great. Yeah. I mean, given your schedule, we'll talk about that in a moment. Um, It'll be exciting to see how you trade that, uh, you know, business entrepreneurship grind and the time that you found. Right. I mean, you're still working, but the time that you found not working like 12 hour days and what you do with that time. So I'm very interested to hear. And to see where you land on that, Um, you know, we act here in Cleveland, I think. I'm sure other cities are like this too, but we act like a very wealthy city. And depending on where you're hanging out, you you think that too, right? If you're on yeah. the the very special corner of West 25th and um and Lorraine and and you walk there on a I don't know, a Saturday night or in a Sunday morning and you're just kind of seeing the you know, the locals come out and brunch and all this stuff. I mean, like and all these things are popping up and we feel like, oh, we're we're doing okay. But then actually you just go a couple of streets away and you realize that there is a lot of lack. There's a lot of need. And um, and you saw that driving to your work every day. And it seems like it's changed you, actually. I don't know if you thought you'd be wearing this advocacy hat when you opened a butcher not, shop. Not at all. Not at all. I think you have you have two opportunities, right? When you open a small business and you could commit to a neighborhood. You're either a, you're just kind of going with the flow of it, right? Like if you don't have to, you know, fight very much, then you're just kind of like, yeah, I'm going to go to the community meetings. It's going to be cool. We're going to do a cool holiday thing or whatever. Or you find yourself in a situation like I did in Slavic Village. And there was no way that I could just stand by because I had the privilege and literally privilege of knowing the neighbors talking to the people that live there. Are there a couple assholes there? Absolutely. I bet you there's five on your block too, right? Like there are jerks everywhere. There is no way of getting around that. Everybody in that neighborhood wants the exact same thing you and I do. They want to be able to go to work. They want to be able to provide for their family, have a safe house to live in, whether they're renting or owning, be able to go to the grocery store with ease and and get there accessibly. Uh, buy food that lasts in their refrigerator for more than a day. Uh, you know, just like the the amount of stuff that like 
I started noticing when I really took my blinders off was astonishing to me. Mm-hmm. It was astonishing well, to me. And you're, um, this is a, I'm going to ask it the only way I know how. So Saucy San, you kind of, your t- the timing of your creation was pretty interesting. Like, I feel like, uh, you know, going back, cause I know, like, I know you were open, what, seven or eight years, but then you and Penny were together. I remember I first met you when you were selling Riet jars out of a, a cooler at the yep. North Union Farmers, Farmers Market, right? Market. So, so like, I think you like to say that you, you really had like some kind of a 10 year, 10 year run. It was like this glorious time for local food. Everybody was just wanting to support it. Um, your story of two women was magical. Two friends that you know the, the it's it all goes down to that that amazing photo shoot of you guys in the glamorous dresses and the and the meat cleavers. You had this image, right? At the end of the day, you were a. I don't know. Did you think of yourself as like um? Oh, I don't know. Like a. A gourmet store. I mean, I don't think you you were trying to be that, but the nature of local food, the costs, the craft, um, all of that, you you really couldn't be a neighborhood grocery store. And I'm only mentioning that because you're you became so observant of the people in the neighborhood, and maybe you weren't able to meet all of those needs yourself. And and that's a lot of pressure. Hundred percent. Um, you know, we we looked at how we could do that, right? So we accepted EBT. We put together butcher boxes, right? Because there's some of it is, yes, yeah, some of our products because it is local. The craft of it was a little bit more expensive, but a lot of it was education. So the next time you go to the grocery store, everyone listening will look at this now. When you look at a and you go to buy a, a piece of meat at the grocery store, we are trained to see the overall price, not the price per pound. The price per pound is pretty tiny. Right. So like when when you come to an establishment like ours or Ohio Sea provisions, right, we have a, a stamp that says twenty four dollars a pound. All you hear is twenty four dollars. Right. But a six ounce steak isn't twenty four dollars. Right. And so it was mm. a lot of educating. It was a lot of putting together boxes and making sure that people felt like they were approachable. Right. Because, yes, there were some folks that when they first walked in, they were like, oh, this is bougie. I don't belong in here, you know? And then you have me and Logan and we're just like, we're welcoming. And then they were like, oh wait, I can't be in here. Okay, cool. You know? Um, and so, yeah, it was, that was a big weight on me as well. How do I get this information out? How do I let people know that we have these things? And that's, that's where the community stepped in, right? Really connecting with key members within the community that would help spread the word and doing advertisement with just focused on the neighborhood. So people knew we aren't bougie. Please come in. We want you to come in. We have stuff for you. I promise that you can find something here, but you're hundred percent right. We can't, we couldn't fulfill the entire need. One, I would need the square footage alone would be four times the size of what we had. Mm-hmm. Um, two, it just doesn't make sense on the local food side of things. And, you know, there's just not enough programs that assist those things, right? Mm-hmm. If you go to the farmer's market, you can use your EBT there. They can run it like a credit card. And for a long time, they were doing produce perks where for every, I think it was like $20 you spent, they give you an extra $10 free just for vegetables. Yeah. Like, that's huge. That's mm-hmm. awesome. Like if I got $20 free to spend on veggies, like how great would that be? Why that only exists at a farmer's market, which are usually only once a week in a very specific area and not offered in other locations of places that are there consistently for people to access Mm-hmm. I'd love to see something like that happen. Yeah, yeah. I hope that um, using your voice, 
and your advocacy. I hope that, you know, you can continue uh, Slavic Village on that path. I know I, I know it's not all on you. And I know that people like Walter Hyde, rest in peace, uh, you had a group of advocates for that neighborhood. So his loss, I think, was really felt because of that. How's the neighborhood looking right now? That's a big question, but uh, are there some folks moving in? Is your space going to be taken over by somebody, not necessarily as a butcher shop, but as something else? How's that going? So there was a young woman who took over Daisy's ice cream last year. Her name is Brittany. She's amazing. Such a sweetheart. Please go and support her this spring when she reopens. Uh, she's serving Toft ice cream, which is, I think, out of Oberlin or like up in that area. I don't West, know. Yeah. Yeah. It's delicious. Um, she's fantastic. They're doing a little bit of hot food, like nothing fancy, just like Walter was doing like hot dogs and this mm-hmm. and that. So um, I'm so grateful that that came back because it was an absolute staple. And obviously it's it's not Walter and nobody can ever replace that man. But I am excited that that was taken back over. Um, and then, uh, yes, somebody is taking over my space. Uh, I will not be a butcher shop. I'm not allowed to spill the beans yet, but there is something in the works. Um, and so hopefully they'll be announcing very soon. That feels really good to know that, um, someone's going to be in there and love and respect that space as much as we did. Somebody that I actually know. So I'm like cheering for them hardcore. And I'm like, you know, I hope this space gives you as much love as it gave us and, and really gives them the fuel to kind of push forward to the next step for their business. Well, that is an amazing transition to what I was going to ask next is, You started out as a butcher shop, the Lady Butchers, media all over the place, you know, national media, all this stuff. And then you sort of found your your way into this very critical neighborhood space. And, you know, you weren't just like selling cuts of meat at that point. You were selling um, gathering. You were selling, you know, come along and hang out. Let's let's learn. And then you started to talk a lot about being a safe space. And then you made some really specific hiring choices to build sort of this work family. And you really put those folks up on a pedestal and you introduced them and they became these personalities and people that we would look forward to seeing when we arrived as well. So when and why did Saucy San kind of change from or evolve from a butcher shop where you go to buy meat to this other thing? Oh, um, I think because I started evolving as a human as well. I think that was at the forefront of it, really. So I, for my entire life, has never been and felt like I had a safe space to be exactly who I am. And everyone has their own story and they always made they, they told my story for me and I wasn't about that. And so I never wanted to validate anyone. Listen, I 100% have been in the kitchen since I was 14 years old. And so I've heard it all. I've seen it all, all of the things. But the one thing that I don't appreciate is assumptions around how someone lives their life because it's not for you to decide. So it really got me to being at the point where I was comfortable with letting folks outside of my close circle know that I identify with the queer community Mm -hmm. and being okay to say that and creating that space that was not and realizing that that's not really existing. Um, I don't really drink going to bars are not my thing. I will go because my friends own them and I want to support them. Um, or there's a band there that I want to support, you know, but there has to be something that isn't surrounded around just drinking. And I think, you know, in the last probably five, six years, we've noticed a large 
large push for people in the service industry to say, it's okay to be sober, but we're not doing a really good job of providing those spaces, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Very few places now. I mean, now it's more common to see a non-alcoholic drink on the menu, uh, things of that nature. But if you talk to somebody in sobriety, sometimes that is even too tricky for them and they don't want to navigate that. It's too triggering and they want to feel included. Those spaces are just few and far between, and especially within the queer Mm -hmm. community. And so that was the big push for me. I think it was an evolving of myself and it was evolving for realizing I do have, I, I, I did, I hope I still do have a voice that people listen to, right? Cause that's what I want with the advocacy for Slavic village and, and realizing that I've always said, if you have a platform, you need to use that and you need to use it for good. And that's where it came. And I just was like, you know what? I need to start saying these things and I couldn't be afraid of what was going to happen or who was going to start stop coming or whatever, because at the end of the day, then you're not, you're not my customer. You're not my people. And that's okay. Yeah. Like there's people for everyone. Right. And so once I got the balls to do that, um, I found it to be very freeing. And then realizing that that neighborhood has a lot of openly gay people there, but they don't have the resources or the support. So we were able to come together and host the first pride event to ever happen in that neighborhood this year. And you best believe mm-hmm. it's happening again next year, you know? And while it was small, I, I there, there was still people there, whether they were part of the community or allies that felt safe and they brought mm-hmm. their kids and we had drag performances and we had Dr. Lady J talk about drag history. And it was just an afternoon that people felt safe and could just be. Yeah. Where did pigs and wigs come from? <laughs> oh my God. Okay. So, um, the, the pandemic, um, it was like right after they had opened up things again and, you know, we had been working our asses off and getting handed to us. And so I said to Logan, I said, Hey, I, they're doing drag bingo at the foundry we know the owner of the foundry. We wanted to support them, you know? So it was like, we were, everyone was very intentional about where they were spending their money once things opened up. Right. So yes. I said, do you guys want to go? They're doing it super safe masks, like all of those things. Let's, let's let loose for a little bit and go play some bingo. And he was like, yes, he brought his partner. It was so much fun. And I met peach fuzz for the first time. And I was just like, I need to know this person. This person needs to be part of my life. I was so drawn to them. And uh, so I had had like one drink, uh, you know, your anxiety's high because it's the first time out being in like since the pandemic. I had one drink. So I was feeling, you know, at the end of it, we're outside. Peach Fuzz is outside thanking everyone for coming. And I just walked up and I said, thank you so much. This was so amazing. Do you know how to make sausage? Literally, that just blew out of my mouth. Like I didn't say nothing to Logan, nothing. And of course she followed it up with like some silly joke around sausage. And I was like, no, but seriously, I own a butcher shop and I would love to talk to you about doing like a drag sausage making class. And she was like, absolutely. I waited a couple of days to call her. So I didn't seem like some like crazy fangirl. And, you know, she came, we talked, she knew exactly who she wanted to have co-host it, which was Anadonia Delight. And that was that. And like, we just put it together and we, the very first one we did like mostly by invite only. Cause we were like, all right, if it sucks, then you guys will tell us. And also we won't feel so bad. So like my sister was there, my best friend was there. Yeah. So it was like a lot of individuals that we knew would be like constructive criticism, but also wouldn't roast us if it was terrible. And it was amazing. And everyone had 
a blast and it was so much fun. And we did invite somebody who um, is part of the community who we weren't mm-hmm. super close with, but we had recently met and they walked up to us at the end of it and was just like, this was such a fun afternoon. And for the first time in a really long time, I felt safe. And I felt like I didn't have to look over my shoulder every two minutes while I was having fun. And that hit in such a way that I can't even tell you. And Logan and I, you know, sat down and started talking and I was like, this is, this is a thing. And we have to, you're on to something. Yeah. And so the rest is history. (laughs) So how did you know, or I want to say, when did you know, when did you know that Salsisan, as we knew it was coming to an end? When did you really decide that? Because again, we were talking about how everything sort of accelerated at the end of the year. Um, Was there a moment, you know, sometime during this last year when a a voice was saying, you know, this chapter's closing, it's got a, my life's going to look different. I want it to look different. When was that? I think there was a lot of whispers that I was trying to ignore, but I do think Probably around my birthday, um, when I first got the diagnosis of everything is when it really just kind of started being like, maybe, maybe these aren't just voices. Maybe I need to start paying attention. And, um, you know, the one thing that I left out around like the, the health stuff is, uh, leading into surgery, they weren't sure how they were going to be able to remove it. They were going to attempt removing it through my neck. But there was there was a p- potential that they would have had to crack my chest and they wouldn't have known until I was already on the table and they had attempted route one. And so that is a very dif- different heel time. Right. I mean, you're talking about a couple weeks down like I was or months down. How do you plan for that as a small business owner when you are literally the one and you have staff? And, you know, I know I have friends in the industry who they rallied. They all supported me so hard, which was amazing. But that was only for a short, finite amount of time. If this was like a long thing, you know, and I started really looking at it and realizing that while this was a completely isolated situation, it was around my health. I haven't taken care of myself in 10 years. I have been grinding day and night. My phone is always in my hand. My computer is always in my hand. I'm not giving myself the space to even just rest my brain because there's not the space, right? If if you feel like you can put something down for more than 30 seconds, you're like immediately like, I'm going to fall behind. I'm going to fall behind. And so you're living in this constant like fight or flight, you know, of, of, of keeping things going because if you don't, then are you going to be able to pay your staff this week? Are you going to be able to, right? Or the cooler goes down and now that's, $2,000 that I wasn't planning on spending this week. And now I got to come up with this some other way so that I can make payroll this week. Right. Like there's just this constant, yeah. like go, go, go that absolutely wears on you emotionally, physically, mentally. I mean, and there's only so much that I think a person can take. And I don't think there's anything wrong with saying I'm at my break point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we don't do that very no, much. We're bad we at don't. it. We don't. And mm-hmm. I, I feel like, what, last couple of years, you've been seeing people talking about like mental health a little bit more. And I like that that is like a stigma that we're starting to like, you know, release a little bit. But the same goes for like letting go of stuff that no longer serves you. I miss walking into those doors and setting that case and talking to customers and laughing across the table with Logan and razzling my farmers when they're dropping up. I miss every moment of that. I don't miss the constant drive, the constant like pool that I have to like constantly pour in 
leaving little to nothing mm-hmm. in my cup for myself, for my family, mm-hmm. for my friends, for my health. Um, yeah. And I think that's, that's something to be said is that like, you have to get to that point where you can say, okay. And, but it also has to be received by people as well. Right. Because the perception is, is that when you start a small business that you're going to die doing that. Well, like, yeah, you almost do sometimes. And I don't think people realize that, right? Like Mm -hmm. there are many times that we are real close to not being okay, that we keep pushing and we have to, because it's everything. And Mm -hmm. listen, (laughs) I'm not walking away debt-free. That's that I wish not. Um, I'm taking that with me and I'm taking some other things with me, but that didn't outweigh what the benefits could come from me closing down the doors. Yeah, what you're gaining. Well, let's talk about what you are doing now, because I was so curious. First of all, I'm so glad that you did take some time to to rest and and recover. I think that was really important. You probably, because you have friends that you talk to, you know, just on the outside, right? Like the day that that news hit, it was like, oh, like I remember thinking to myself literally like, oh, I wish I bought stuff from her every week. (laughs) I wish, I wish, I wish, or, you know, whatever. And then, but I think deep down, I also knew it was more than that because of some of the stuff that, that you had said. I think a lot of people imagined maybe a reincarnation of something, you know, I think from talking to you the last time I knew you probably weren't going to jump back into like being a cook at a restaurant or anything like that. I knew that wasn't for you. Um, so what, so where did you um, land? I know you haven't talked a lot. No, about uh, yeah. So, um, my, I, I could, there's no way that my body could keep up with the demands of, you know, going back to restaurants, being a restaurant chef, anything like that. Don't want the hours. I don't, I don't want it. Um, so the universe, I think when I finally made the decision and I was like, okay with saying I made the decision was allowing me to see other opportunities that I couldn't see before. And it was just by happenstance. Um, so we were a state inspected meat facility, uh, which allowed us to sell wholesale to local restaurants and stuff like that. And our inspector was in that day and just talking with her. And, uh, you know, I jokingly was like, are you guys hiring? And she was like, actually, we do have a position that's going to be posted in the next couple of weeks. And I was like, tell me more. I mean, I obviously know what she does when she's in my facility, but like, what does it look like for other things and all of those things? And you said she, which is also very interesting because another, I would just, I, I, to be honest with you, when you said meat inspector, I just, I pictured a man. I did. That's terrible. But totally. Um, there's actually three women in our district. Uh, I make woman number four for our district. We have two of color. We have a uh, queer identifying human. Um, Like it's a very diverse district. And so I'm stoked on that. Uh, Our supervisor is a person of color. It just so happened. um, And I applied and I interviewed and they offered me the job. And so it's a huge shift, uh, but it's still being around what I love, which is meat and still making sure that like people have access to a wholesome product. And it's more, more in depth than, you know, I actually thought. Um, and so mm-hmm. I'm just, just like two weeks in now training right now and kind of driving all over, um, learning from different train, j- different inspectors, but I'm excited. And I'm also excited for 40 hours a week and a steady yeah. paycheck that I know will come every, 
two weeks. And you're getting out and seeing people and going around to different places, which has probably got to feel right. good. I mean, that was the thing. There was no way I could just like sit in an office. There was no way, like I need something that kind of mimics that everyday kind of just change of pace. Um, without having to be the one responsible for that. <laughs> and so, so far it's, it's fitting really good. And I feel, I feel content. I feel like my heart has room to kind of breathe and get back to things that really fulfill my heart and soul. Um, yeah. Like, do you even, do you even have, oh, a, hobby? So have a hobby? Hobbies. I have so many hobbies. Oh. Like if people close to me, I haven't, my spare bedroom is literally, it's not even a spare bedroom. It's a craft room. Like it is set up for me to do inside crafts during the winter. I do woodworking, I refinish stuff. Um, I'm always up to something. And I did all of that still. I'm an avid gardener. I have a huge garden in my backyard. So I have tons of things to keep me busy. I just never had the full time to commit to it. My dog is also a registered uh, certified therapy dog. Um, And so we do uh, work with some sober living houses here in the, in Cleveland, haven't been able to do that in a really long time. So we're going back to that mid February and then, you know, still staying committed to doing things inside of Slavic village. Uh, I was just at university settlement last week, hanging out for the community meal and helping serve. Um, And I plan to continue to can be part of things in the neighborhood. I love what you're describing. It feels, I feel the enthusiasm. I can see your smile, but I feel your smile too. I feel like your soul is calm. Do you feel that? I really, really do. I've been able to cut back so much on my cigarettes. Like that in itself is a a huge like stressor relief for me. Like just realizing how stressed I was. um, I don't think I fully appreciated how stressed I was. Um, I'm sleeping like a baby. <laughs> it's like, it's like, there's just this switch. And, and that's not to say that again, like that, I don't miss the, the things that, you know, the, the people, um, but no one's going anywhere. Right. Like, uh, you send me an email, we're talking, right. Like, you know, we, we live in a day and age where people can still access you and connect with you. And if, if you really want to, you can find someone. And so, you know, there were very specific people that I made sure to connect with before we closed the doors because they were someone that they weren't customers. They became friends. Right. And that was somebody mm-hmm. I knew I wanted to meet out for dinner or go have drinks with or whatever. I love it. I think you're a great example. I know as you talk about this more and more, I mean, you know, the CLE podcast does okay, but at some point you'll tell this story to maybe a wider audience and you will inspire a lot of people, I think, to not only consider that a change might be imminent or necessary, but um, also to just maybe like release the fear around it because that's really, that's kind of the hardest part, right? Is is thinking about, or your, or like your identity. Again, I there was this narrative about the lady yeah. butchers. And, and as a marketing person, like wearing my marketing hat, like I remember back then, like I was like, that is genius. You know, like there was just such a, a storytelling around it. And I'm sure when Penny decided she needed to do something else to make her decision, that was that was hard also because again your identity was um confusing to people i think p- there were people that probably thought you were married yeah. there were people thought that you were sisters there were you know it was just all these things and you're really taking the opportunity to uh like reintroduce us to melissa Corey and all of your dimensions not just the lady behind the 
the lady behind the totally. counter. And I think, I think you're right. Um, it's, it's the fear. It's the fear of what other people will think. It's the fear of, you know, how will I get through this? But the thing that I found comfort in is realizing is like, literally nothing is forever. And so for us to put this like stipulation on us that this has to be forever, it's okay to let something go, even if it hurts, even if it's a sad thing to do. But I literally was just talking with my sister last night. And, you know, when I meet and when I'm out about right now, if I've run into customers or people, people are approaching me like I just like lost someone close to me. Right. Like they're coming up and they touch the elbow and that like gentle way you do to someone. And they're like, how are you? And I know that's coming from a place of pure, like genuine, you know, they want to know that I'm okay. Um, and I don't know if it, like the expectation was that I would be in this like blob on the floor um, and just so depressed around the closure of it. And maybe that would be for someone else. I'm a front end processor. So prior to us closing was me being sad and, you know, hiding it really, really well. So that by the time that we were closing the doors, we could celebrate. And I meant that. And and that's why we, that's why we closed the way we did. I wanted to be, I wanted it to be a party. I didn't want it to be this dragged out thing where, you know, people were just like coming in and saying, oh my God, I can't believe you're closing. I wanted to celebrate it because when I started Saucy Son in 2013, December 7th was our first day of sales. I literally said, if this lasts a year, cool, but I just got to try this. I just got to know I can do this. And damn it, we did it. Penny moved here like six months afterwards, national recognition, national television, Oprah Winfrey magazine, food and wine magazine twice. We did the damn thing. Sure did. Am I ashamed or, you know, not thinking I could have done more? Because we can always do more. You can always say, oh, I should have, or I could have. But what I did do is I started something and we made waves with it. And we brought food to people. And I'm proud of the product we put out. I'm proud of the business decisions we made, both when Penny was there and afterwards. I'm, I'm, I'm proud of literally every day that that, that may, remained what it was. Mm -hmm. And that yeah. is something that I would rather go out on than running it so far into the ground that it doesn't even look like what it was. Or being a, such a shell of myself that I can't even look back and say that to you and believe it. Yeah. Or like you finding yourself on a hospital bed and being told you have to make a really, you know, big decision about your life and uh, how you get your health back. I mean, uh, you really, you did what you needed to do when you needed to do it. And honestly, in this day and age, that takes some serious chutzpah. You know, it's, it's hard. It's hard to make those hard decisions and painful decisions because we don't like pain. We don't like, we don't like to go through those dark, those dark places know that uh, you're keeping a pretty early schedule now. So I'm going to wrap this up. I love that you shared so much because I think people will just so look forward to hearing your story. I think you're one thing that you're so talented with is advocating for yourself, telling your story, teaching people, educating people. And I don't, I think this, what you're doing now in this next phase of your life is is no different. I really appreciate the time. It was so nice to reconnect with you. I I considered myself lucky that I wasn't sure where you were checking email or what you were doing. I did see the website completely down and that that just hurt my heart for just a tiny little second. It just was very like, oh, oh, okay. It's really, it's final. And as you said, you came to that conclusion earlier. Good now. 
I hope that our paths cross. I'm sure they, they will. will. <laughs> and thank you. And well, thank you. Cause uh, th- uh, to me, you're like, to, I can't think of very many people that I'd want to come out of um, this. I don't know what it, we just had like six weeks of gray and rain or whatever this was. I found myself having to take a time out as well. And I was worried. And then I sort of slapped myself like, Lisa, nobody's, nobody's checking their, um, their social media every day to see when your next podcast is. So like, get over yourself. You know what I mean? But I really wanted to step back and I wanted to, I also was thinking like, do I want to keep doing this? What do I like about it? Am I doing it for what reason? And I thought, yes, I do want to do it because I want people to keep talking in their own voice, telling their own stories. So I'm honored that you made some room for me here. Happy 2024, a little bit late. Good luck to you. And thanks for being on the CLE Foodcast. Thank you. I'll talk to you soon. The CLE Foodcast is a project of Fork in the Road Productions, and my sound engineer is Bill Connors. This episode is presented with thanks to Chef Douglas Katz and the Katz Group of Restaurants, Zug, Amba, and soon-to-open Kiln. I hope you follow these restaurants on their social accounts and stay up to date with what Doug is doing at ChefDouglasKatz.com. Doug and I are champions of local food and the people who grow, cook, and share it. And if you're listening, we know you are too. So until the next episode, stay hungry, be kind, and always, always set a bigger table.